My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So let me begin by talking about uh, what's happened in the last year, spurred on by the, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Debt uh, hit a record. Uh, so we got a record now. In the spring of 2021, our household debt as Americans rose to $14.6 trillion. Now, That's not the national debt. The national debt, I believe, is over $20 trillion now. That's what our government has borrowed. But we, the people of America, are uh, in debt up to a tune of $14.6 trillion. Now, um, Luckily for us, that's shared among 340 million people, right? But uh, that's still a a pretty hefty debt. The average American has $90,000, not counting what we owe as far as our part of the government debt. Our our own personal debt, uh, the average American carries $90,460 in debt, according to a CNBC report in 2021. That's in consumer debt, that is mortgages, that's credit card debts, that's everything. The average American carries $90,000 in debt. The average amount of debt by generations in 2020 was this. If you're Gen Z, ages 18 to 23, you've got $16,000 of debt already. Millennials, 18, that's uh, 24 to 39, you've got 88,000. I'm going to round these numbers off. Gen X, 40 to 55, uh, you've got $140,000 of debt. Baby boomers are paying some of it down. 56 to 74, we have $97,000 worth of debt. And the silent generation or the, or the golden generation 75 and up, $41,000 worth of average debt. The median household income in our country hit a high in uh, the first quarter of 2021 at 79.9, basically $80,000 in 2021. That's up from $35,000 in the year 2000. So in the last 21 years, the average median income in our country went from $35,000 to roughly $80,000, right? So that's a a net gain, I think, of like, um, is that 55? 50 to 35 would be, um, I mean, 80 to 35 would be like 45, is that right? I wasn't even homeschooled. (laughs) $45,000, it grew during the last 21 years. But look at this, the average American household debt in the year 2000 uh, was 50,000, The average debt today in the American home is $145,000. So income increased by a uh, little over half, but debt has increased by three times. 43% of homes carry credit card debt. That means they, they pay debt uh, month to month. They carry a credit card debt, the average home of $6,200. A man called the police to report that his credit cards had been stolen, and he said, hey, but, but get the thief slowly, will you? He's spending less money than my wife was, so. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get national debt on churches, but I, I mean, I couldn't get a lot on church debt, but I did find this on the United Methodists. I'm not picking on them. I'm sure it's the same among us Baptists, but um, the average debt among the top 200 churches in the Methodist uh, communion of churches, 70% of those top 200 churches have an average of $2.75 million uh, worth of debt. Um, Only 60 of those top 200 churches carry no debt, and the highest debt for one of those churches is $21 million, and the median debt is $1.6 million. So if you happen to be our guest this morning, we're talking about financial or money proverbs. And and I've been trying to, each Sunday, give us a tip from the proverbs on our finances and how to improve our finances, how God would want us to steward our finances. And so this morning, you probably guessed it, we're going to talk about debt. And we're we're going to ask the questions, is debt morally wrong? Is it a sin to go into debt? Is it wise to go into debt? Do the proverbs speak about debt? And you'll be surprised, you'll not be surprised, I should say, they do speak about debt. But they don't speak, they don't speak as frequently about debt as they do about the principle of of laziness and lack of diligence leading to need and lack and poverty, right? So they do speak about debt, but not as comprehensively as 
as they did about some of the other subjects that we are, the subject from last week, laziness. So what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to begin with what the Proverbs don't say about debt. So let's, let's talk about that for just a moment. First of all, the Proverbs do not say it's a sin to borrow money. In fact, uh, nowhere in the Bible does it tell us that borrowing money is a sin. Now, the Proverbs do tell us that there is some pretty serious danger in debt. And there are some substantial warnings, I think, against debt, as we'll see in just a little bit, or certain kinds of debt, maybe. Uh, But it never says in the Bible or in the book of Proverbs that it is a sin to borrow money. Now, some people try to say the Bible teaches it's a sin to borrow money, and they point to Romans chapter 13, verse 8, that says, um, owe no man anything except to love one another, I think, or except love. And uh, that, that statement is not found in the context of borrowing money, but in relationships. So it really contextually isn't speaking to borrowing money. In fact, I think there could be a debate over the wisdom of certain kinds of debt, as I'll talk about in just a moment. Um, Debt always, listen, debt always incurs a risk, all right? And some would say that that risk is reasonable and even needed or good in some things like a mortgage payment or business startup loan or maybe even credit card loan that you carry from week to week and then pay off, I mean, excuse me, month to month and pay it off at the end of the month. Um, so, uh, and there are some cases where debt is unavoidable, unavoidable, bankruptcy, uh, where you have to declare bankruptcy, medical emergencies, job layoffs. Uh, not all, so here's my point, not all debt is sinful. Here's the second thing the Proverbs doesn't say. It doesn't say that it's wise to borrow money. In the same way, it doesn't say that it's sin. The Bible and the Proverbs in particular never say that we should borrow, that this wise to borrow money. Now, financial advisors today will tell you differently. They will say you should use leveraged money. They will say you should use borrowed money. If you can borrow money and use that money to buy an asset that will then in turn gain you more money. For instance, then they actually say that's the way to prosperity. And uh, so, for instance, you buy a house, you have money, and you go into debt, and you buy a house, and then you turn around and rent that house to someone else, and you're renting that house for more money than your house payment. And if you're doing that, you're actually gaining some money, but you're also building equity in the house. And so, one day, you'll own the house, you'll have a hard asset of that house, and, and so, by using leveraged money, by using borrowed money, from, you're able to make money with that. So, some people say that's the key to prosperity. And I want to tell you that I have some family members that are doing that excellently. I mean, they're doing that and they are making lots of money. Now, having said that, I really want to be clear. The Bible never tells us that we should do that. It never says it's wise to do that. I'm not arguing that it's not wise. I'm simply saying the proverb is that it's wise to uh, make money money, borrowed money. Number three, Proverbs do not say God will bail you out of debt. (laughs) Some people think that uh, God has promised us that we will, you know, he's he's always going to bail us out. And they point to Philippians 4.19. And you know this verse, and my God will supply all your needs through Christ Jesus and his riches according to Christ Jesus uh, our Lord or in Christ Jesus our Lord. And they say, well, that verse promises us that God is going to meet all of our needs. And so therefore, if I go into debt, God's going to bail me out. I want to be really, really clear. God never promises to bail you out of debt. He never promises to bail you out of wrong decisions that we the Bible in the book of Proverbs teaches us just something the opposite. It teaches us that we reap what we sow, right? So you reap the consequences of decisions you make. And the Bible never, the Proverbs never promises God's going to rescue us from debt. Another thing the Proverbs does not say, or do not say, they do not say that to, exer- or to go into debt is an exercise of faith. Now, we hear that a lot, especially, I think, in churches. In churches, we're going to exercise our faith, and we're going to go and borrow money to build this building or that building. I'm not trying to argue for or against it. I'm simply saying that nowhere in the Proverbs, and I don't think anywhere in the Bible even, that it says that borrowing money is going to be an exercise of our faith. In fact, I think the Bible says just the opposite. I think the Bible warns us against presuming on the future. So in the book of James, James writes this. He says, 
says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city, spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And so James seems to say that we shouldn't presume on the future. And so to say I'm going to borrow as an exercise of faith, I, I think goes against what James is teaching. And I think it also, I think another reason not to do that is because our faith then becomes in the lender that we're borrowing from if we're not careful rather than in God. Then again, I'm not, I, please don't misunderstand. I'm going to argue in just a few moments that, that I think that, that debt, some debt can be very positive and, and you can use it if you have it. But... Um, but we need to be careful that we don't put our faith in the lender who's willing to lend us money and then the ramifications that come with that debt. So uh, Proverbs do not say debt is an exercise of faith. And then the last thing that I wrote down that the Proverbs do not say is they do not say that it's wrong or a sin for you to loan money to others. The Bible doesn't say that. And it says a lot about loaning money. In the context of Israel, the nation, which we are not Israel, the nation, uh, maybe we could take that application of what God said to Israel, the nation, and apply it to the nation of God's people that are Jews and Gentiles. We might could do that. I'm not even saying that we should. But amongst the Jews, they were not allowed to loan money for interest. They were encouraged to loan money to one another, but they were never, they were told they were not allowed to charge usury to one another. And usury in the scripture, if you see that word, means interest. And, uh, and so therefore, um, we need to be careful about loaning money. I think, I think we can loan money, but in light of some of the things that God said to Israel, there's some things that, that I would suggest would be true for us. And that would be that we, we need to be fair with usury. We need to be just with interest, that sort of thing, and not gouging people, not robbing people by charging too much interest on money that we are personally loaning to others. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you that if you loan money, you, you loan it if you loan it, if you loan your money to people that you, you loan it without interest, that would be what I think. E even to someone that you loan to that might be an unbeliever, that you would loan to them um, without usury. That would be my thought, but the scripture doesn't ever say that. Now, let's look at what the Proverbs do say about debt. So here's the first thing that I want you to note. And I think this, I don't necessarily think this is the most important, but I think this colors everything else. So here's what the Proverbs say about debt. It says that debt enslaves you. Debt makes you a slave. Here's the verse. Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is the slave to the lender. Well, you know, we did financial peace, I don't know, decades ago. Y'all remember that with, with Dave Ramsey? And if, if you were here for that, what that is, is Dave teaches a seminar on finances. And one of the things that, that he taught us in that was the danger of debt. And if you listen to his podcast, he has a podcast out there now that you can listen to. But Dave makes this statement quite a bit. He says, when you are in debt, you are a slave entrapped in bondage, a captive who is chained in service to the lender that issued that loan. So Dave says that we become a, a slave to the lender, a slave to the person who gave us the debt. Uh, you know, Ann and I have not been under too many loans, but I can remember being under some. And, and you know, you are. You, you feel that you've got that little booklet you've got to rip out every, every month, every, every payment, right? And there's a sense in which, you know, if, you, if you're following Christ and you want to pay your loan, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but, you know, you, you have to pay that. That kind of comes first. And it, and it basically, say you have a paycheck with X dollars. Well, Y dollars is coming out of that paycheck every month. And you have absolutely no say over where those Y dollars go because they're already committed to that loan. The Proverbs say that debt is like unto, metaphorically like unto slavery. All right. Now, you know, we've all seen the stories of slavery in the past. And being a slave, an actual slave in the past was a heavy, heavy burden. Uh, this is different than this. It's a metaphor. He's using a metaphor with debt being like slavery. But, but here's the deal. Uh, in this metaphor, financial slavery can become a really heavy burden. And it can be so burdensome that it becomes emotionally even unbearable. And at times, what they say about divorce is, I think it's like 40% 
families divorce because of financial reasons. And so therefore, your finances and debt in particular can cause relational stress that can lead even, even to divorce. People stay up at night, late thinking about how they're going to pay their bills. And if they've overextended with their debt, if they've borrowed too much money and they can't pay their bills because they've got too much debt on them, that becomes a huge enslavement uh, to them. Now I think you can move forward in God's grace you know, uh, under loans and in debt, okay? But there are consequences to our actions. And, and there are consequences to our uh, debt. So here's the second thing that Proverbs says about, about debt. And it's really, you're going to say, this is cheating, Jimmy. This is the same thing you just said. I think it's a little bit different. And, and here's what I want to say. The Proverbs says that when you loan money to people, you change the relationship you have with that person. They become your debtor. They become your slave. You become their master. Now, that's, that's metaphorical speak, but, but it's, he's saying that something happens in the relationship when you borrow money or you loan money to someone else. And here's, here's where this really, that happens amongst friends, too. And it happens amongst your children or your parents. If you loan money like that, then, then you're going to affect the relationship. There's going to be um, a shift from the autonomy that the relationship once had to now entering into like a quasi-master uh, quasi kind of relationship. Now, over the years, and I've, I've loaned money to quite a few people, and before you, before you misunderstand what I'm talking about. Hey, Jimmy, can you loan me $20? Hey, Jimmy, can you owe me $50? You know, I've loaned money to quite a few people over the last three decades. And, and it's been invariably, it's been universally true that when I do, that person, usually when they're asking me for $20 or $30, they actually probably don't intend to pay it back. They, they, and, and it changes the relationship. And I do not see them again. If I see them again, it'll be years later when they forgot that they borrowed $30 for me. And then almost one of the first things that comes out of their mouth again is, can I borrow $30 till tomorrow and, uh, and all. And, and so it changes your relationship. So know that about debt, okay? Know that if you loan or if you borrow. Here's the third thing. And, th and this, is, this is the thing, believe it or not, that Proverbs says most emphatically in so many times. It says, you should never be a cosigner on anyone else's debt. And that was a surprise to me. But that's, that's, if you want to know where the Proverbs comes down, it really comes down here. You should not be a guarantor of anyone else's debt. Here, let me show you. Here's Proverbs 17, 18. One who has no sense shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. Here's Proverbs 22, 26. Do not be one who shakes hands in pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. There's another one, Proverbs 21, 15. If someone puts up security for a stranger, he will suffer for it. But the one who hates such agreements is protected. So I ask myself, why is this emphasis on co-signing? And, and, and I guess co-signing a debt. So you come and you say, hey, Jimmy, I've got this debt. Can you co-sign it and guarantee it? Because they won't let me have it on my credit. Can you, can you co-sign it saying you'll take care of it if I default? I'm not going to default, Jimmy, but would you co-sign for me? And that's what that means. And I'm like, why, why does God say this? Well, I, I think he says it so emphatically is because at least at some level there, you cannot control that debt. You cannot control that debtor. You have no control over that debtor. And so therefore, if that debtor defaults or if that debtor does whatever, you now become responsible and you, you have lost any control over the actual, I mean, it becomes your debt and you gained nothing from it. So I guess he's saying, I guess that's why he was so clear about that. Now, having said that, you know, we, we, we believe the Bible is a, a whole book from Genesis to Revelation. Even though it's different books, 66 different books, we, we think it has one theme. We think God speaks with one voice. He's not going to contradict himself. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, you show a kindness if you co-sign for someone in need. Isn't that a contradiction to what the proverb says? So how do, how do we reconcile this? How do we harmonize this? Well, I think I have an answer, and so you see if it's satisfactory to you. I, I think what, what God is talking about in the proverbs is do not co-sign 
when you don't have the means to cover that loan that you're co-signing for and, and not affect you. In other words, if it's going to affect you, if you're, notice, notice the proverb. He says, here's Proverbs 22. See if I can make my point. Proverbs 22, verse 26. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, it falls back on you. And if you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. If you're going to lose your home, your whatever, because you've co-signed for someone else who didn't pay, do not do that. But I think what God means in Ecclesiastes is, if I have the means to do so, now notice, that's not going to change the fact that I'm going to put that person under some degree of bondage, that I'm not going to become a master-slave metaphorical relationship for them. But, but at the same time, Ecclesiastes Solomon, same author of the book of Proverbs, says it's a kindness to do that for someone uh, who needs help. And so I think the difference is, where, where am I financially? Can I do this without losing my own house, my, my, my bed from underneath me? Can I do this and be able to cover that? It's a kindness to do that. Here's what I want to say next about the Proverbs, and, and I'm out of, believe it or not, I'm out of things the Proverbs says specifically. So I'm going to, I got two implications from the Proverbs. Here's the, here's the first one. The Proverbs imply debt is dangerous, and you should take it on very cautiously. And again, that's, Jimmy's, that's Jimmy reading an implication in the Proverbs. The Proverbs do not say that. But here's a proverb that I want to read you that I haven't read you yet. And this is chapter 6, verse 1. My son, don't take, don't make for yourself, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'll start that again. Chapter 6, verse 1. My son, don't make yourself responsible for the debts of others. Don't make such deals with friends or strangers. If you do, your words will trap you. You will be under the power of other people. So you must go and free yourself. Beg them to free you from the debt. Don't wait to rest or sleep. Escape from the trap like a deer running from a hunter. Free yourself like a bird flying from a trap. Now let me be really transparent. That proverb there doesn't say what I inferred, right? That, that debt is your personal debt is dangerous and that you should be cautious and, and even I would suggest flee from taking it on. I'm making that as an inference. If we want to know what that proverb literally says, it literally says my last point, which was whatever you do, don't be surety for someone else. Don't, don't take on someone else's debt. And again, I'm going to caveat that by saying, you know, if you, if, if to, to do so would mean you would lose your home, your livelihood, you lose, if you can't afford to lose it, whatever you do, do not do that. I think that's the point. But, but I think there's inferred in this, in this uh, proverb that you and I should be very cautious about debt. And we should not enter into debt lightly. And we should, you know, he even calls it, he calls co-signing a debt. He calls that, he says, we should lose sleep to get out of it. We should beg to get out of it. We should see ourselves like a deer or a bird that's in a trap and try to get out of that trap as quickly as, as we can. And so I'm drawing the conclusion there that, and I, I want to take it from me co-signing for someone else, I, I'm going to make the inference that that proverb would say that me taking on my own personal debt, especially, especially consumer debt, and let me talk about the difference for just a minute between leverage debt and consumer debt. Leverage debt is when I borrow money for, for some, uh, something of value that I can turn around and then make money from that, and the asset itself really isn't necessarily losing money. And a great example is me buying another house that I then turn and rent to someone else, okay? If something were to happen, I can sell my house, get my money, and get out of debt. That's leverage debt. Consumer debt is when we borrow money for things that we're just going to use up. There's no value in them. I'm borrowing money for that bigger car, that bigger house, that, uh, that, uh, that motorcycle, that, that, consume, that thing that I want to consume for my own benefit. I believe that when Solomon's talking about debt, in so many ways, he's talking about that kind of consumer debt. And, and so by inference, I'm going to say, I believe Solomon would say to us today, if he were here speaking for the Lord, I think he would tell us, be very cautious about taking on debt. Be very cautious about taking on consumer debt in particular. Do not, I think he would even tell us, don't 
take on consumer debt. I, I think he would say, just like don't co-sign, I think he would say run from it, lose sleep, not to get into consumer debt. Now our culture is, is full, is chocked full of unlimited opportunities for us to take on consumer debt. In fact, if you watch TV, like every few minutes in your television show, there are people that are trying to get you to consume things. They're trying to get you to buy things. And if you have money for that, I still think you need the Lord's permission. If you follow Jesus, his, his, your money is his money. So he, you're a steward for it. So you should be trying to follow his directives and all of that. But if, if you have money for that, there's no debt. But if you don't have money, a lot of times those commercials make us want to have things things that we can't afford, and we go and we get debt so that we can. And so, so we have credit card loans, and student loans, and car loans, and, and electronic store loans, and furniture store loans, cards, you know. Here, here's one story I read. A man was once boasting to an acquaintance, we have a whole room full of furniture from France that goes back to Louis XIV. And the other guy said, well, that's nothing. We got a whole house full of furniture from Haynes that goes back to Harry on the first. <laughs> so, uh, it's really easy, guys, to get into consumer debt and that you cannot pay. And then it's, it's, going, to, it's going to hurt you. It's, it's going to cause you to lose. And not just in the area of finances and then bring about poverty. It's going to cause you to lose in your character. It's going to cause you to lose in your testimony with others as well. So the, the Proverbs treat debt. I think this is true. Here's the implication of the Proverbs. That debt is, is, is something we should really enter cautiously and we, should, uh, and we should remember the proverb, the first one I read to you, that debt enslaves us. So be aware of that. Debt is an, has an enslaving part to it. And then my last thing here is the Proverbs implies debt is something we are obligated to pay back. Now, nowhere could I find it in the Proverbs that it says you're obligated to pay your debts back. But uh, the Proverbs implies that. And the reason I say it implies it because nothing else that I've said would make sense if you didn't have to pay it back. Right? If you didn't have to pay debt back, then there would be no value in not incurring debt. You just take it. And, and in fact, let's go, back a, let's go back a century. And you didn't pay back debt. Then guess what happened to you? You went to debtor's prison, right? You went to prison for not paying back your debt. Now, in the past, people really took it seriously about paying back debt. I mean, there's, there's stories in the, in the New Testament where some guy couldn't pay back somebody and he was thrown into jail until he could pay it all back. So there is an implication in the Proverbs that we are under obligation as people who follow Jesus to pay back our debts regardless of how you got into them. Now, let's go outside the Proverbs, because remember the Bible is a unified whole, and let's look at what else the Bible says. Here's what, here's what the Psalms say, 37 verse 21, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, all right? Hey guys, we're not wicked. We're supposed to be righteous. We're supposed to be godly. We're supposed to be like Jesus. And so we are not like the wicked. We, if we borrow, it is our word and we're under obligation to pay back no matter how much we don't like it. No matter how much maybe I, I borrowed money for this consumer thing. It didn't bring me any satisfaction. After two months, I don't play with it anymore. It's sitting out there, but I got this huge debt on it. I'm still obligated to pay that back. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, again, he's the author of most of the Proverbs, he said it is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it, 5-4. And so I think what we could just substitute in that it is better not to make a vow to pay back a loan than, than to take out a loan and not fulfill it. I, I'm sure Solomon would say the same thing. So the Proverbs implies that. To refuse to pay back our debt is, a, is an out right abdication of our Christian responsibility and our Christian character. I was reading this past week trying to, you know, reading up all on, on this, and I read of a young man who had a goal of making a million dollars by the time he was 25 in debt, a million dollars in debt by the time he was 25, and then he was going, you know what he was going to do, right? He was going to declare bankruptcy. And, um, but he didn't, guess what? He was arrested by the Lord Jesus. He met Jesus, put his faith in Jesus. And so guess what? Now he no longer has a goal of being a million dollars in debt by his 25, but something else happens to him. 
I got to pay back that debt. And uh, he does. He works at paying back that debt until he's paid back uh, all the money that he had run up in, in debt. A dear friend of mine once had to declare bankruptcy, but to reveal his godliness, he paid back all of his creditors. That's what the godly do. That's what the righteous do. We pay our debts. And, and the Proverbs implies that. The scripture makes it clear. So that's my talk from the, from the book of Proverbs. But I, I, I want to say a couple more things before we finish, before we go home this morning. And uh, so that's my tip, guys. Here's my tip. I'm trying to give us financial tips from the book of Proverbs. My financial tip is simply this. Borrowing is not said to be a sin. Loaning is not said to be a sin. But borrowing money is very dangerous. So be very wise about it. And I, and I would even say that you should, we should not borrow for consumer debt. I'm going to tell you why in just a second. But we should not borrow from consumer debt because it, one, it, it, uh, it means we're, we're presuming on God for the future. But there's another reason I'll tell you in just a moment. So that's my tip. Be cautious about debt. And uh, in fact, I would suggest that you do everything to get out of debt except for um, if you've got leveraged debt, that's one thing. But get out of all that consumer debt that you might be in. So what if you're here this morning and you say, well, Jimmy, that sort of makes sense to me. I'd really like to do that. And by the way, just ask any financial advisor. I mean, even secular advisors. I mean, most of them will tell you, get out of debt. It's an enslaving thing. It's robbing you of your prosperity for the future. So get out of that consumer debt. Um, so even secular and Christian alike would tell us this is not wise. How do we get out of debt? Say you're in debt this morning and you're in a lot of consumer debt. Let's just say you've got $10,000 of credit card debt that you're carrying over month after month and you're paying 15 18% uh, interest on it or whatever. How do you get out of debt? So I've got four suggestions for you, four suggestions. And I, and I, and I think these are really wise. I think these, I think if the Lord was here, he would, if he was here in person speaking to us, I think he would tell us these four things. But here's the first one. Decide to agree with God that debt is not wise. Make a decision in your heart that debt is not wise. Because, see, the world's, trying to, the world's trying to get you to borrow, borrow, borrow. And again, you know, I keep saying this, forgive me, but I'm, I'm separating if you have financial resources and you're using debt to leverage for future advance or gain. I, I, the Bible doesn't speak against that, doesn't speak for it. I'm not speaking against that. But I am speaking against the debt where we're using it for consumer for, for things we consume. I, I just think that's wrong. And, and what I'd like to ask you to do is agree with God because I think God's pretty clear that that's unwise. It makes you a slave and you should not get into that kind of debt. I, I say this often, listen to me carefully. There is no healing until I own up my sickness. There is no fixing anything till I own my own part and recognize that I'm wrong. I cannot, I will not change anything until I'm willing to own my part in getting there. If I don't own my part, then I'm not going to fix it. You are not a victim, everyone. You are not wherever you are that's not good. You are not there because of someone else. Now, don't misunderstand. They may have played a part in making things worse for you, but we are where we are because of choices that we make, and we're the ones that can make choices to get out of them. So if you're in debt, you can't blame the commercials. You can't blame that, that salesperson that wouldn't let you say no, you know, and, until you did it. You can't blame them. You made that decision, and so now you've got to get out of it. Make another decision. Say, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to get out of debt. The second thing I'd say to you is pray and depend on God to help you get out of debt. I said this last week, and, and I really liked it. You know, we're not in a self-help religion. You know, it's not, we, we're, in a, we're in a faith that says, God, I'm broken, and I need your help because I can't do this. I, I really want to do the wrong. I really want to borrow money. I really want to, I really want to be lazy all the time. And by the way, just an interjection there. There's nothing wrong with laying out by the pool or going on vacation. That's not what I was saying. Okay. But, but you know, God, my, my tendency is to want to be slothful. My tendency is to maybe want to be lazy. Okay. Yeah. Own it. 
But then ask God to help you because God wants to help us. I said a minute ago, God's not going to rescue you out of places that you've gotten yourself into by bad choices. He's not going to just rescue you automatically. However, I think he longs for you to say, hey, I really messed up, God. I need your help. I think he's looking for his sons and daughters to be like the prodigal son and come home and say, Dad, I really messed up. I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me one of your slaves. And the dad in the story can't, doesn't even listen to his son. Bring out the robe. Bring out the ri- uh, ring. Kill the fatted calf. My son, who was gone, dead, is back alive. So I'm, I'm telling you, I think God's just longing to help us. So this, here's how you get out of debt. One, you own that you got you there. And two, you say, God, please help me get out of, get out of this. Here's a great verse for you. But in my distress, King David said, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 18:6. Cry out to God. God, help me. And I, I think he wants to help us. He's, I think he's looking to help you get out of, out of debt and where you can not, not have that hanging over you and not be that enslaved person to that lender. Maybe you're wondering this morning, uh, I, I said this already, but maybe you're wondering, does God care about me in my situation? I have a new friend that financially things are not going that well for her. And, um, and uh, I, you know, this week she had a setback and uh, her thought was, um, I think, I just want to give up. And I don't want her to give up and I don't want you to give up. God, God cares about us. He does. He really cares about it. He knows you. He knows you by name. He really cares about you. So, I mean, if you're here this morning and none of the rest of us know it, but you're just under this burden that's about to squash you, please don't give up. God just cares about you. He knows, he knows you. He's with you. And uh, so he's, he's willing to help us. Here's the third thing for getting out of debt. Uh, learn, here, this, maybe this is the most, not, that, that first and second one, these are just all in order of importance. First, you've got to own it. Second, you've got to look to God to help you because that's what he wants to do. But the third thing is you have to learn the secret of being content. Because you know what? Debt is not symptomatic of spending. Debt is symptomatic of being discontent and wanting to borrow to try to fill some some void of discontentment in your heart. The bigger house, the the better car, the newer car, um, the more fun hobby, whatever, you know, what was the, whatever, okay? It's all about discontent and wanting more. Luke 12, 15 says, um, beware against every kind of greed. This is, I think, Jesus speaking this. Beware, guarding us every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And debt is the result of greed. That's what it is. It's us wanting more things, not being content with what we have. Webster's defines greed as selfish, excessive desire for more of something such as money, or and I might add, such as just things that then is needed. So I said to you, here's the key to getting out of debt. Learn the secret of being content. What is the secret of being, the problem is discontent. What's the secret of being content? So here's the secret of being content. The secret of being content is Jesus. It's a person. It's not something you do. It's a person. It's finding fulfillment, contentment, meaning, and purpose in, in knowing and loving and walking with this person, Jesus. Paul told the Philippians, I've learned the secret. I can do all things. He's talking about contentment here. That's this context. I can do all things through Jesus. The secret to contentment, everyone, is our relationship with Jesus. It's not things. It's not it's not the UTV that I recently bought, you know? That's turned out to be a money pit. It's not, it's, it's not, um, it's not things. Contentment is found in Jesus. And, and these things, uh, uh, David and Tammy had something years ago. I don't know if they still do it or not. But when their kids wanted something, David made them write it on a, on a whiteboard in the kitchen. Y'all still do this? It was good. It was good, though. It was good. You should still do it, David. <laughs> but this is what David and Tammy did. They had a whiteboard. And if you wanted something, 
you had to write it on the whiteboard. And it had to be on the whiteboard. How, how long did y'all make it be on the whiteboard? Wow, 30 days. If you still wanted it, you know, in 30 days, then I don't know that you necessarily got it, but they would let you get it, I guess, was the plan. But there, you, you see, there's something to that. It makes a lot of sense because our discontent can go away, especially if we, if we turn our discontentment, if we find ourselves being content, discontent, and we turn that discontentment to Jesus and walking with him and loving him and finding our, our fulfillment in our relationship with him, then that discontentment goes away. So you have to learn the secret of being content, everyone, and it's not going to be in your toys or your better car, or your bigger house, or any of those things, things that we need. And it's not, it's going to be in Jesus, and loving him, knowing him, walking with him, and your relationship with him. If you can't afford it, afford it, find contentment in Jesus. And the final thing I said, this is the most practical. The other three are really issues of the heart. But here's my practical thing. Make paying off your debts a priority. If you're going to get out of debt, just decide, hey, this is my priority. This is what I want to do. I want to get out of debt. And, and make that your priority. And, and, and this is from, uh, what, what's that again? Ramsey. This is from Ramsey. He says, list your debts in order, smallest to biggest, and then start paying them off the littlest to the biggest. And people will always ask him, why do I start with the littlest? Why not start with the biggest? And he says, because of the, the factor that you see progress and victory. So you start with the littlest one and you pay it. Then you take the money you were putting towards the littlest and you put it towards the, the next biggest along with whatever you're paying on that debt. And then you take those two and you put it towards the third. And he said, and eventually you'll pay off all your debts and you will not be a slave to the lender anymore on that consumer debt. I would urge you to do the same thing, but it has to begin with the priority. If you can't control your credit cards, you need to cut them up. I mean, I'm talking about making really hard decisions to prioritize not going into more debt, but paying off your debts. And, and I believe that's a, just great financial advice to you. So let me finish this morning. Um, by, uh, I, want, I want to share a, a couple of stories with you to, to, to finish. Um, that, that's the tip. Debt, debt is dangerous. Be very cautious in how you use it. I would urge you not to use consumer debt, but to get out of consumer debt. And I gave you four suggestions on how to do that. But here's, I want to, I want to, I want to share with you a story that Jesus taught about, about debt, okay? And it's not exactly a financial debt story, but it is. So Jesus is uh, invited by a Pharisee one evening to come and have dinner with him. And so he goes to the Pharisee's house and he goes in and the Pharisee and his buddies are there. And, and I'm not sure what their purpose was or their point was in inviting Jesus, but they invited Jesus and he went. And when he got to the house, I mean, they, they treat him with uh, disrespect. They not give him any water to wash his hands or, or feet, as was the custom, they don't give him a kiss, which would have been the custom to greet your guest with a kiss. They don't, they don't greet him like that. But he comes in and he's talking. And we have to remember houses are different. They're not isolated with locked doors like ours. They're probably sitting in a courtyard with lots of people there. And they're reclining at the table talking. And while they're doing that, this woman comes in the courtyard. And she's crying. And she comes over to Jesus. And uh, she has long hair. And she has some perfume in her hand. And, uh, and she's crying, and she kneels at Jesus' feet. And as she's crying, she, her tears are wetting his feet. And she's taking her hair, and she's washing his feet with her tears. And I'm assuming the perfume, too, pouring it out. And uh, Simon and his buddies are watching this, and uh, it says that they said in their heart, Man, this guy's not for real. Because if he was a godly man, and he really was God's man, he would know that kind of woman that woman is. And, and they tell us that he calls her a sinner, which was another way of saying she was probably a prostitute. And he's letting this prostitute touch him. If he was a godly man, he would never let a woman touch him, much less a prostitute. He's not for real. And Jesus, it says, and so I'm going to read you what Jesus said. So Jesus spoke up and told a story about two debtors. He said to Simon, uh, one who owed 500 denarii and one who owed 50. Neither one could pay their creditor, but he forgave them both. And Jesus said, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? 
And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Here's what Simon, here's what Jesus was saying to Simon. He was saying, Simon, you guys, and I think he got it, you guys are the two people I'm talking about. You see, she's a $100,000 sinner. You're just a $10,000 sinner. Uh, her sin was outward passion. Your sin is, you don't even recognize it, but it's pride. And, uh, and it's in, hidden in your heart. But neither one of you can pay your debt to God. Neither one of you can, the, the, the consequences of your sin is death. Neither one of you can pay that to God without dying. And, uh, but you see, Simon, she recognizes her sin. And she loves much because I've forgiven her. Jesus turned to the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All of us have flunked the righteousness curve, everyone. God doesn't even judge on a curve. And all of us are failing. All of us owe to God a debt we cannot pay. And whether we're a $100,000 sinner or a $10,000 sinner, we owe a debt we cannot pay and Jesus chose to pay it for us by coming and dying for us and being our Savior, being destroyed for us. He paid a debt he did not owe so that every single human being, every single human being can be, uh, can be forgiven. You can be forgiven this morning. Every one of us can have life in the kingdom to come. And this woman was very much aware of that. So I want to ask you as I finish, I've been talking about finances, but I want to turn, I'm turning, if you can't tell, I'm turning this a little bit to look at your heart and, and ask you about your heart. Do you know what kind of sinner you are? Are you the $100,000 sinner or the $10,000 sinner? And the truth is, I think all of us, if we can all see ourselves as the $100,000 sinner, then we'll, we'll see ourselves in great debt to God and we'll love him greatly and will love him much. So let me ask you, this is a rhetorical question. Why don't you bow your heads for just a second, would you? So you're just not looking around, but you're thinking. So let me ask you, do you know your sin this morning? Do you realize what Jesus has done for you? Do you love him like uh, Mary Magdalene did? Or are you kind of like Simon? You, you love him, but you just, you kind of think better of yourself than you really are. I want to invite you this morning. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you don't, haven't ever even received Jesus. And you're still, you're still in debt to God. The debt being the wages of your sin is death. Maybe you'd be willing this morning to look to Jesus and receive Jesus, who became our, our debt payer for us. You know, if, if you're here this morning and God's prompting on your heart, I mean, I, I felt compelled to do this this week. If God is prompting on your heart, then just right where you sit, just say, God, I am a debtor to you. And um, I, I recognize my sin. I recognize that I've been selfish, that I'm unkind, that I'm, you know, that I fail in so many ways and how I treat my husband, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my, my wife, how I treat my children, how I treat others. I, I recognize my failures. Lord, please forgive me. Please come into my life and save me. Forgive me of my sin. Give me eternal life. I, I, I want to receive you today. You just pray this prayer in your heart. Your, your words don't matter. It's the, it's the heart that's crying out to God. You can use whatever words you want. I'm just trying to help you. Cry out to God say, God, I, I need you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to come into my heart. Come into my life. Change me. I'm inviting you right now to receive Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're, we don't have too many people watching on the live stream, but if you're watching on the live stream and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I'd like to invite you where you sit at your home now or later watching this. You know, receive the Lord Jesus. He's wanting to come in to your life. God, thank you for being there caring for us always and just never giving up on us. And, well, you know, always longing for us to come, always wooing us by your spirit. 
although I'm, I'm, I'm checked in my own heart by the always, Lord, I know we can harden our hearts and harden our hearts and harden our hearts. And, and the Bible seems to say that there comes a time when you harden our heart. I understand that. But generally speaking, Lord, you, you want everyone who's hearing my voice. I mean, you haven't given up on them and you want them to come to you and receive you. So, Lord, I, I pray that'd be the case. I pray that all of us would recognize that you paid a debt so great for us and that, Lord, out of that we would love you and want to be faithful to you and want to follow you with all of our hearts. Help us with that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I said I had two stories. Here's my second story, my final story. And this is a cool story, and I want to share it with you because this is what I want to do. I want us to do this. And you, you be praying about it. You see if we can't maybe do something like this. Um, in the year to come. I don't know. But here's a true story. Every year at their annual resurrection celebration, the Wichita's Pathway Church would spend money on TV ads and direct mail to promote their resurrection Sunday service. But in 2019, they did something different. Lead pastor Todd Carter explained that this is a mega church. This isn't like us. This is a mega church. This is a huge church. Lead pastor Todd Carter explained that instead of spending on Easter promotions, the church used that money as well as money allocated to help families in need to pay off medical debt for 1,600 families in their state. Each of the 1,600 families whose debt was paid off received this note that said, and I quote, we're Pathway Church. We may never meet you but as an act of kindness in the name of Jesus Christ, your debt has been forgiven. The church paid the debt through a nonprofit called RIP Medical, which has cleared medical debt for more than 200,000 Americans in recent years. As Pastor Carter explained to his congregation, what RIP does is that they go out there and they buy medical debt a penny to the dollar. The church ended up spending about $22,000 to clear $2.2 million of medical debt for those people. Carter told the church, I want you to imagine for a moment, and this part when I read it the first time choked me up, but I want you to imagine for a moment that those 16, what those 1,600 people felt like last week when they got their letter in the mail. What was going on in those houses when they got that letter in the mail and all of a sudden they realized that their debt, this debt that has been hanging over their heads has been forgiven. Well, that's exactly what God in the person of Jesus Christ wants you to feel each and every day that your debt has been forgiven. Isn't that so cool? I might love that idea of us taking money this next year, paying people's medical debt, and sending them a letter that says, hey, what, what did he say exactly? We're Bacon's Castle Church family. We've never met you, but as an act of kindness in the name of Jesus Christ, your debt has been forgiven. Obviously, we wouldn't be able to do 1,600 families or whatever, but it'd be so cool if we pay off any medical debt in Surrey County, wouldn't it, if, if that could happen? Man. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Mm-hmm.